So, Fred, I love your show, Portland, Iowa. I think it's so interesting. But as an Iowan, I watched it, and then I noticed you're talking about Portland in Oregon, not Portland, Iowa. So why is it called Portland, Iowa? No, 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 it's not. It's Portlandia. to start this by introducing myself uh my name is justin i'm here with evan this is rock hard caucus uh and i am a bible thumper father protector american patriot and marxist leninist how do you feel about that evan uh i'm the the last one (laughs) but none of the uh, preceding ones yeah that was just a really interesting twitter bio i saw earlier today i'm in reality, I am at most one of those things. I don't know if I've read enough books to call myself a Marxist. Don't you mean X? Oh, oh well, yeah, not that's yet. Right. It's Twitter now, but maybe for the next couple hours. <laughs> My God. <laughs> uh, well, this is something we haven't done in a bit. Uh, Rock Hard Caucus is interviewing candidates for elected office again. Uh, we've never learned from that mistake, and we're going to try it again. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we got two of them this time. So I, I don't know how to to do this the right way. Uh, we got Denver Foote, who's running for mayor of Des Moines. Denver, hello. Hello. <laughs> you want me to introduce myself? Uh, sure. If there's anything you want to say to introduce yourself, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, my name is Denver Foote. As stated, I was born and raised in Clear Lake, Iowa, majority white community. Um, pretty conservative and being from an immigrant family, I really faced a lot of adversity with that. I moved to Des Moines to experience something different and I realized that things aren't really that different, but I found my community right here. I am the only non-binary queer POC person that's running for mayor. I am also the youngest person running for mayor here in Des Moines. And I also um, have, I'm the only person that's running a grassroots campaign. So totally volunteer led, um, single small dollar donations. There's something else I was going to add there, but I forgot. You can find I'm more sure at denver4dsm.com. We'll, yeah, I'm sure we'll come to that other thing eventually, but that's a great place to start. <laughs> and we've also got uh, Bridget Bakken, who's running for Des Moines City Council Ward 2, right? Yes, Ward 2. And do you have a thing that you could say to introduce yourself? Yeah, totally. Um, I was um, yeah, born and raised here in Highland Park, one of the neighborhoods uh, in Ward 2. Uh, my uh, husband and I actually grew up on the same street, and uh, we really, really loved the neighborhood. So uh, we uh, bought a house here uh, a couple years ago. And uh, yeah, I got, I got involved uh, with community organizing in 2020, um, kind of around the pandemic around the pandemic. And then um, when um, the uh, Des Moines Black Liberation Movement kind of sprang into being, I saw their kind of call to attend city council meetings. And I did that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is really, really messed up. Uh, And then (laughs) um, as you know, as time went on, I was like, oh, I can't wait to meet, you know, other people from my community who feel the same way. 
And then we got closer and closer to um, Linda Westergaard being up for re-election. And then I was like, oh, okay, so there's uh, no one who's able to run. So I kind of found myself uh, in this position. Super, super happy to be here. Um, but uh, before all of that, um, I uh, I work in food service. I'm bartending right now. Um, and I am in a band called Bigby Woods. And I uh, I also work in film production. Uh, I do little ads in like films and stuff around the Midwest, mostly, mostly in Iowa. It's really, really fun. Um, but my professional life is pretty hectic. And I just want to create more space uh, on city council for people like me in Denver who care about human rights and who want things like 24-7 warming shelters and who just, you know, want to strengthen communities for, you know, whatever's coming next. I think a few months ago, I mentioned on our podcast that both of you are running and I think I called you both normal people, <laughs> by which I mean, you're not like wealthy business owners or like landlords, which is how most uh, local governments are run. Yeah, uh, uh, normal is one thing that I'm not. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like normal, like normal in. <laughs> sorry, I really just, I just really was like refuted. Uh, I mean, I, I am normal in the sense that I feel a lot of the pressures of everyday life. Like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be really, really honest. Uh, we're like a month behind on our mortgage right now. Uh, and we're doing this thing that a lot of poor people are probably really good at doing, which is the bill juggling game. So, you know, we know which bills we can kind of pay a little on here and there, which bills we got to pay in full. And that's honestly um, just due to having to work in a gig economy for me. And then uh, my husband works for the Animal Rescue League, which is, you know, a nonprofit. And, you know, I know we all know how nonprofits are a complicated professional situation to be in. Oh, don't I know it. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, we love, yeah, and we love that, you know, and we, we always talk about, like, you know, we chose kind of difficult professional lives, but... uh you know, we wouldn't really trade it for anything. Um, but boy, howdy, things could be easier. Like there's definitely a lot of middle ground to be covered between what a lot of working people in Des Moines experience and what city council prioritizes. It's like an abyss. <laughs> yeah, Frank. absolutely. You'll say we'll say you're normal, but not average. How about that? There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. Do we you want to comment have... on your normalcy? <laughs> we seem to have uh, lost Denver for the time being. Uh, so, uh, Hopefully they will be able to reconnect, I guess, in the meantime. Uh, so I read both of your websites to get a, a better grasp of uh, what you're both campaigning on. There's a lot of common ground between Bridget and Denver's campaigns, which uh, I hope to delve into deeper when we get Denver back <laughs> in the Zoom room. Uh, but uh, something specific to Bridget's uh, website, um, you framed things uh, using Maslow's hierarchy which you said is something that you uh, got from uh, studying education in college, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, there was a point in my life where I was really, really uh, set on being a teacher. And I know, uh, I feel like it's it's only fair to mention that I believe 
uh, I'm not super clear on the history of this, but I think Maslow's hierarchy has been used at times to, uh, how do I want to put this, how to uh, justify, um, I guess, racial oppression. But where I learned about Maslow's hierarchy is that you have this, you know, pyramid of needs. A lot of people will probably know the meme. Um, a lot, a lot of the uh, rock hard caucus listener base, I'm sure, will know the the Maslow's hierarchy uh, needs pyramid. But you know, on the bottom of the pyramid, you got your physical needs, and then you got your mental needs, and then emotional needs, and at the top is this really fun, cool thing called self actualization, uh, which I think that from a public service standpoint. It's our job to make sure everyone has as many chances for self-actualization as they can possibly have, because that is like where you kind of have your highest quality of life, um, because all of those needs that I mentioned are, are being met and attended to and attuned to. And uh, from a child development standpoint, you know, I, I can't teach a kid how to read if the kid is hungry or if the kid's not getting enough sleep because things at home aren't going well or if there's some kind of disruption in their lives. And uh, truly exemplary teachers understand this and prioritize that. And then they kind of fit whatever content they need to teach kind of around the needs of those kids being met. So uh, the closer I got to, you know, working for DMPS, and I, I love so many of the people who work for DMPS, they are doing incredible work. Um, but I found that a lot of the time when I was in a classroom working with kids and I would try to prioritize their physical needs or their mental needs, I would run into some problem with the administration. And I more and more, I received little messages of like, okay, so the way that I want to do things, the way that makes the most sense, meeting kids' needs from the bottom up, that's going to be really, really, really tricky to do at DMPS. So I made the difficult decision to... I got my degree and uh, I got my bachelor's in education, but I chose not to pursue certification because I just felt, I don't know, I just, I felt like I wouldn't be able to do what the kids needed in the way that I felt should be done. But uh, a lot of the time, even, even dealing with like patrons at the bar who've had a little too much to drink, if you just like, I don't know, I kind of hop into that, like meet the inner child's needs, you know, mode. And uh, it's, I don't know, personally, I think it's a really effective way of dealing with, you know, uh, adults in distress, uh, dealing with, you know, like, like, consider, you know, the houseless population, for example, you know, if their physical needs are met, if they have stable shelter, if they have a steady supply of food, they can, you know, then we're able to address, you know, whatever, whatever mental, mental health needs that they might have. And because so much, you know, so much of our mental health is wrapped into, you know, how we're treating our bodies. It's all connected. And uh, when we do things like approach city council and ask for 24-7 warming and cooling shelters in order to address the very basic physical needs of the community, we're not only met with, you know, dismissal, we're they're They're actively hostile toward us for even requesting such a thing. And that's just insane to me that's a big part of uh why i'm here too yeah yeah that's very helpful um denver is back <laughs> yeah my laptop broke like three days ago just yeah. the screen so i've been plugging it into a monitor but it just wasn't doing zoom and i was like 
it's fine. You know, it's not like I'm running an entire campaign or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, this is a working class campaign. All right. Denver needs money for a new computer. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So as, as I was saying, uh, while Denver was unable to be part of the conversation, I read through both campaign websites to get a better grasp of uh, where both of you are coming from. There's a lot of overlap. So there are some uh, topics that I I felt like you could both like weigh in on a little bit. Um, You both talked about public transit in Des Moines as part of your campaigns. What's the deal with public transit in Des Moines? And maybe we can start with Denver since Denver just rejoined us. So... There's a lot of disparity in public transit. And as somebody who has a lot of trauma around policing, I have a lot of anxiety driving, even like though I'm not doing anything illegal. Um, And that's like one of the things that I've had to deal with since my trauma uh, with police brutality. So I would have to take the bus to work. And I lived on 42nd and Ingersoll. And I worked in the Merle Hay neighborhood, which is about a 10-minute drive. And I would have to go on the bus 45 minutes to work in an hour, almost an hour and a half sometimes, home. And I'd have to go downtown and transfer, which is extremely inaccessible for somebody who cannot drive or people who cannot gain their license, right? Or folks that English isn't their first language. And it's really hard because, you know, we don't really translate languages. So that's like my personal experience with the transit. Um, And I see a lot of people experiencing these same things all over the city, especially if you are farther away from the metro. And that completely ties into we need proper reliable transit because we have these food deserts right people are living in these neighborhoods where they cannot access fresh produce they cannot access necessities for their home like baby food diapers you know breakfast for sunday morning and they want to do these things but they can't do them unless they take transit They can't do them unless they're paying for Ubers, right? And there's this overlap. I believe that transit is the backbone of an accessible city. Mm -hmm. And I believe that like our transit system needs to be, and we need to try to be harder uh, or harder to be better. Iowa City just started their two-year free transit rides to test Mm -hmm. out to see if more people will use it. I don't see why Des Moines cannot do that. Des Moines is the capital of Iowa, and we need to be the leading example in transit. We need to be the leading example in bodily autonomy, etc. I could keep ranting, but I'll stop there. (laughs) Yeah, that free transit thing uh, that's just starting... I think next week in Iowa City is a a huge step forward. Um, I personally wish that they would expand that to Coralville Transit. As to my knowledge, it's only the Iowa City bus, so it doesn't help me that much. And what yeah. I what I'm looking for in city services is something that helps me personally. That's the mm-hmm. most important thing. <laughs> but it it is great, and yeah, I mean it's it's crazy for Des Moines to not at least try the same. Like uh, you don't want Iowa City to show you up. 
Mm-hmm. Or even what point. If I can uh, speak to what Denver was saying, too, about trauma around policing. Um, so I work uh, in a bar in downtown Des Moines right now. So I get off work regularly at like 2, 3, sometimes 3.30 in the morning. And mm-hmm. um, back in 2014, uh, we're married now, but uh, we were just dating then. Uh, my husband and I were driving really late at night along uh, East 9th in Union Park with some friends uh and all of a sudden we start getting tailed by this cop and this like and it's 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 in a very aggressive a very aggressive way like this cop is driving uh the opposite direction from us and then he pulls a really sharp u-turn and is like right on us and you know it was us and a couple friends and you know not all of these friends were you know white like us so we start like really kind of panicking and uh like i remember his hands, like my husband was driving, his hands were like shaking at the wheel. And we get really close to the street where we're dropping our friends off at. And we're like, oh my God, what do we do? What do we do? Like, are we going to have to pull over? If like, is he going to pull us over? If we pull over to drop you off, like, you know, and then right as we pulled onto the, what, right as we made our final turn, the cop broke the tail and just kept going. And, you know, it was really genuinely scary for us at the time. Uh, it, we, we joke about it now, but it was that was genuinely a scary experience for all of us. Um, and lo and behold, I'm driving through Union Park on my way home from the bar. And what happens but a cop aggressively starts tailing me. And I get this insane deja vu, my hands start shaking, I'm not even doing anything wrong. You know, like I, I don't even you know, not that it would make a difference, but I don't drink really at work. So mm-hmm. I was like not driving erratically. Um, and it just, it made me very scared. Um, and then after, you know, after so long, the cop again broke the tail. And then uh, it happened to me again a couple nights ago uh, when I was taking a different road home to try to avoid that happening again. <laughs> um, so I can't help but, you know, think, boy, it would be really great if Dart, you know, ran. 24 <laughs> seven and, you know, uh, offered more routes and ran more consistently, um, then I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, being made to feel unsafe by, you know, quote unquote, peace officers, you know, on the way home from work. Yeah. Uh, police and, uh, all of the, the protests in 2020 and the police budget and the focus on, on police, uh, was kind of a, a big part of what has led both of you to be running for office now both of you write about that on your website and obviously there's a big thing going on with denver you've uh sued the des moines police department right what's what's the story there uh i am currently suing the des moines police department and the city of des moines for um basically police brutality um i recently got an update that it is going to be held in federal court with a jury trial um, that I have the most surviving claims of anyone who has a lawsuit against DMPD from the 2020 protests. I also have the only claim of intent to harm um, and also the police officers recently got publicly named by the Des Moines Register, which is very surreal kind of because the last three years I've been kind of dragged through the mud for taking on the city and the police force. Um, I've been doxxed. I have had right-winging journalists pull up to actions and ask for me by name. So 
I have already with what's happening with my litigation, I have already felt a lot of pushback um, by people who are more right leaning. Trying to think of my words. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there, that's like the update. I don't. I'm not really comfortable or in the mood to really dive into the details of yeah. what happened to me and the police right now. But it is on the internet. Um, it's a very public case. It's kind of one of the first of its kind in Des Moines. And it's like this lawsuit isn't for me or it's not about me. It's not what happened to me. It's about everyone else who has experienced aggression from policing, right? Like I have experienced targeting by the policing by a young age. My parents dealt with a lot of police officers, but yeah, I guess that's like the general update. I don't know if you want to have any specific questions about my lawsuit, but I did state my boundaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you covered really what's, uh, what's relevant, I think. We, we don't need to know the details of what, what happened, and that's all public record at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of courage to be pursuing this to the extent that you have. I mean, this was three years ago. They frequently intimidate people who try to, you know, seek justice after they experience things like this. And most people aren't able or willing to fight back in any way and it, it yeah it takes a lot of uh energy to <laughs> to keep going and i uh respect you a lot for that so i uh, i appreciate yeah. you justin giving me a, a platform to say this as well but um i did some uh court support for folks uh similarly to denver who had uh run-ins with po- police brutality and uh were on trial for it and i saw personally i watched a police officer coach another police officer on what to say at the stand like like in real time like while the officer was being examined i this this um the second officer was sitting at the end of the row just like a like a like a third base coach was like giving him little <laughs> nods and little like and i'm just like are you kidding me uh and i i, I i'm not gonna name anyone involved but uh the judge also uh, noticed that and handled it accordingly. Um, so that was one instance where uh, that was reflected in a court judgment in a way that was uh, really helpful for the person who was unfairly on trial. Um, but yeah, cops lie. Uh, DMPD yeah. cops lie. I have seen it. <laughs> and, <laughs> Absolutely. I am rooting for Denver so hard every step of the way. We are too, and it's evidently a strong case based on the fact that it's even going to trial at all. So, yeah, definitely wish all the best on that. Yeah, and the, um, the main argument that they have is that they couldn't control me in a hundred pound, four eleven, a fab person, <laughs> which I think, quite frankly, is hilarious, and uh, also what the fuck. So. <laughs> you're just too dangerous and intimidating (laughs) uh i think some of them have been mentioned by name while we've been recording but uh denver you are running against connie bozen and josh mandelbaum 
in the race for yeah. Des Moines mayor. Uh, Bridget, you're running against Linda Westergaard in the city council race. Um, this this is maybe a bit of an obvious question, but how are you different from those other candidates? Uh, what has your experience been campaigning against those candidates? Uh, wh- why do you feel it would be best for them to no longer be in office? That's kind of a tricky question because I'm running against two already serving council members. So they're still going to serve on the council if right. I win. So I believe that my opponents have been very, uh, a lot of talk, but no action kind of energy. They still have remained silent on the 2020 protests, specifically at Merle Hay Mall when the police were brutalizing youth. Um, they have, been silent on the constant issues and occurrences in our city. Um, But it all makes sense because they have connections, they're lining their pockets, and they're serving corporations and not the people anymore. I believe that I am the best person because of my personal lived experiences of growing up in a working poor family, of coming from an immigrant family of being queer, non-binary, of being somebody who has been organizing their communities for over five years now. Um, I have shown up to so many city council meetings. I have been on the front lines for so many years. I have organized and helped organize uh, mass movements. I have worked with like I have helped pass the 24-7 carbon-free resolution here in Des Moines. So I believe that there is proof that I am a leader. There is proof that I can lead and I can lead for the right purposes for what they call radical care, right? Like bodily autonomy. And my opponents have been silent on that. They say about things that they've done and not what they're going to do. And I have so many ideas of what we need to do to make Des Moines a safe haven for all, to make Des Moines accessible, to reimagine public safety and really help shape Iowa into the future we want it to be. They recently changed the Iowa logo, like uh, free to flourish, right? But what does that mean if a lot of our youths are being shoved back down in the sand? Right. Des Moines needs to be the leading example in this state to protect people. And I believe that I'm the person that can get it done. I believe that I'm not afraid to stand up to corporations, not stand up against oppression. And I believe that I'm the best person to represent our most underserved communities. Didn't you also just get endorsed? Wait, you're both muted now. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, my my dogs are really excited about oh, okay, gender okay. endorsement. They were just uh, they they were just reveling in the in the news. Uh, all right, guys, calm calm down, calm down. They, uh, all all of all of my pets really love Denver, as they should. Is this the um the run for something endorsement? That was the one that I saw. Okay, and you were both endorsed, right? Yes, yes, we were. Yes. And uh, I also want to point out that Connie was absolutely instrumental in pushing back against those warming shelters. She was definitely leading the charge in that retaliation. 
So just bad for Des Moines. Yeah. What exactly is the, the current uh, city council's opposition to something like that? Like, why would you not want to have a 24-7 warming and or cooling center available? If I recall correctly, the meeting that was set up to discuss that, um, you know, put together by, of course, the amazing Indira Shoemaker um, at that meeting, I believe they adjourned it without even voting on it. I, I, yeah, I think so. So uh, your guess is as good as mine. It seems like a no brainer to me, especially considering that in 2021, I recall um, the incumbent, uh, my opponent, one of my opponents, Linda Westergaard, uh, received $44,000 to a REMAX uh, agency, one of a few that I think she uh, financially benefits from. Uh, She swore up and down at the time that she was not benefiting from this uh, revitalization grant, um, but she also declined to mention that her daughter uh, runs that REMAX and that her daughter would be the financial beneficiary for that the same daughter that uh bill gray used his last ounce of his last pathetic ounce of power to appoint to uh i don't recall which board but i believe i remember thinking oh that makes sense so i think it had to do with housing at the time so she's getting money from the city serving on a board with the city and her mom mama linda is just okay with all of this that is like Again, like a big a big part of uh, why Denver and I are running this attitude of nepotism. That city council is a club for people to line their pockets with. Mm-hmm. They at the I remember at the beginning of our crusade uh, with city council, they would like bleat over and over again that you know we're here to conduct the city's business. We're here to conduct the city's business, and you know we would then say, okay, well, hi, we're the city. Here's our business. <laughs> They've now uh, pivoted to uh, saying council business, not city business, council business. So um, let me get in on some of that there council business and see what we can do. Yeah, and and their business is just what uh, buying nationwide office buildings so they can build uh, or make like cop training centers or or whatever. (laughs) Absolutely. It's ridiculous. The the. You know, we're here to conduct the city's business. This is a business meeting. That that line was also used to um, arrest a citizen of Newton, Iowa, for uh, you know expressing his his First Amendment viewpoints a few months ago. So it's a it's a great defense to stand by. You know, you can do anything you want as long as you are adamant that you are conducting a business meeting. And yeah, you any, look re- you look really good in the process too. <laughs> yeah, and anyone who who is like uh, criticizing you or or disrupting the meeting in any way, uh, they they are interrupting important business, and so you can send them to jail. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, you mentioned uh, being endorsed by Run for something. This is a uh, a progressive organization that that tries to put a spotlight on a. Uh, candidates who are new to uh elected you know, electoral efforts right it, it's for first time candidates only i think is the the idea right yeah it's a first time candidates with an emphasis on uh femme queer non-binary did, is this something that you had to like seek them out for an endorsement or did they just find you i i don't remember uh how i came across the endorsement packet i think uh 
I sent it to you. I was going to say, I, I know you sent it to me, but I wasn't sure where, uh, where you got it from. I, so I have been through multiple trainings and have worked with Run for Something for a couple of years now. Um, I have been trained in movement politics since 2019. So I've been through their candidate trainings. I have done some of their special like LGBTQ. And also with CCI, they put me through candidate trainings. So I already knew about their endorsement program. And as soon as I knew I was running, I applied for an endorsement because they do support progressive people of youth and they do have a big broad audience. They also have so many resources when you get endorsed for first time runners, um, like fundraising, organizing. It's really a good program for somebody who's running for the first time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bridget, a minute ago, you mentioned Linda is is one of your opponents. Are there more people running in that race that I was not aware of? Yes. Okay. So as of a few weeks ago, there <laughs> a new challenger approaches. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Uh, in all honesty, I just I'm I'm not a very competitive person. So uh, the um, this other person who's running, they they seem very nice. Uh, but uh, their name is Chelsea Lepley. And from what I understand, um, they've been a part of some cool, like, public mural initiatives around the city, which is awesome. Uh, and uh, they have some experience with the Iowa Democratic Party. I'm not sure to what um, degree, but uh, honestly, uh, I think that between like me or Chelsea, even Chelsea would be better than, you know, Linda. So I'm just I'm glad that. If there are other you know, challengers in the race that they're they they seem halfway sensible. Um, I, I I get the sense that uh, Chelsea's uh, a little more liberal uh, liberal leaning, so I think they might appeal to voters who think I'm a little a little too bold and brash with my request that we house the houseless. Um, <laughs> fringe sorry, fringe guys. candidate. <laughs> Uh, not that not that Chelsea wouldn't be also behind doing that, but uh, I think they think I'm too demanding and rude about it. Not mm -hmm. sorry. Yeah, and I mean involvement with the Democratic Party can be uh, a pro or a con. It sort of depends yeah. on what, what happened. At the least, it sounds like she'll probably be less racist than Linda Westergaard. Right? Yeah. Honestly, yes. Yeah, so that's I'm just trying to you know hold Look on for to silver that. linings. Yeah. <laughs> Denver, what was it? You said something about a 24 7 uh, carbon something. Could you remind me what that was? So I was organizing with the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement Climate Justice Team. We were organizing around a 24 7 carbon free resolution by 2035 in the city of Des Moines. Josh Mandelbaum, who's one of my opponents, uh, proposed it for us, but he did not do any of like the grassroots labor of bringing people together, of showing up to council meetings. We would show up to council meetings with a bunch of speakers and like signs. And um, we had a youth, Lillian. Oh, I can't remember her last name, but she's like doing amazing things. Um, and she wrote a letter to council and like hand delivered it to them. Um, but there's still pushback. Um, it ended up passing unanimously. Uh, but shortly after, maybe a half a year later, Des Moines signed a mm -hmm. mid-American franchise agreement 
for 15 more years. And it's if if the city doesn't hold Mid-American accountable to this carbon-free resolution, it's not going to happen. Right. And that, that resolution is a promise to future generations of Des Moines. That resolution is a promise, you know, to so many people. And the city is already saying, I don't care because we want Mid-Americans franchise. Like, we want Mid-Americans money coming into the city. We want Mid-American taking on our lower lower income families who can't pay, you know, their bills, who aren't making ends meet. The same American who raised my utility bill, despite having record profits. <laughs> and it's like, it's also very much so like, yes, this resolution passed unanimously, but those same people who passed that resolution voted in favor of the Mid-American Franchise Agreement. They requested that Josh Mandelbaum does not vote in the Mid-American Franchise Agreement. And he stepped back. He went to the other room. He didn't fight back. He didn't fight for the people that he claims that he wants to support and lead, um, which I frankly think is disgusting. And it's literally under the bare minimum. <laughs> is there some sort of conflict of interest that means he should step out of the room for that vote? That is what they were trying to say. Um, also, there's always the threat of, of Frank County switching up the agenda procedures of speaking like when after Indira Shoemaker got elected, they instantly changed a bunch of procedural rules mm -hmm. to silence her. And I'm sure there's always that fear lingering over the head. And there's also this wanting to keep connections open to run for larger seats, to get more money, to get more power and to be able to complete their agenda. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Their yeah. agenda being more money for themselves. Is there Council anything business, larger to yeah? <laughs> it's so clear. Uh, I mean, while we're kind of on the subject of of climate issues, I did find uh, the climate concerns that you both wrote about on on your uh, campaign websites interesting because, like, larger picture, uh, climate change is a pretty bleak subject like obviously worldwide and like u.s government wise there's not a lot happening to slow the effects of climate change but y you both you know in the in the realm of like local policy city policy there are things that can happen to try to mitigate some of the damage and just like make things less bleak in our general area uh, there, there's something about the mid-American energy thing, obviously, um, but also solar panels and, and stuff like that. Um, but there was a, a topic that I was not totally familiar with that both of you mentioned that I was wondering if you could maybe explain. What does uh, rematriating land involve? Justin, I'm so glad you asked. May I? Oh, wait. Ah, oh, shoot. I just forgot that this is not a visual. This is an audio format. <laughs> For the listeners, I am working on a uh, crochet, like, granny square blanket, and it's a sunflower pattern. And the reason I chose that is because um, I'm going to hold it up for the for the guys. Sorry. Sorry, viewers. But it's it's a really nice uh, sunflower pattern. And um, I chose it because I saw this... Uh, image on uh i'm not supposed to say twitter i have to say x i saw this image on x <laughs> yep. of, uh, 
this saying and it goes like uh, the, the ruling classes will fall and like sunflowers, we will pull the metals and toxins out of the earth. And uh, this references the idea that sunflowers um, uh, can pull harmful metals and toxins out of the earth. And in doing so, they rematriate the soil. It's just kind of like a like a clarifying shampoo, but for the <laughs> soil. And just 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 restoring the um, the nutrients that urbanization and uh, outside of Des Moines, that industrial agriculture has just has absolutely just annihilated all of the nutrients in the top layers of soil. And um, that's why uh, I know folks who are, you know, they get stuck on the highway now because there are like dust bowl like Mm -hmm. conditions occurring on the highways. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, And not only does it not have to be that way, but we have all the technology we need to enact these solutions. It's, you know, I think for me, rematriating the land is important. It is part of my indigenous um, background. It's part of my ancestors. It's part of where I come from. It's a lot of things could be done locally and broad, but rematriating the land to me is sowing new seeds for the future. It's cleaning the air. Um, and it's putting love back into Mother Earth, right? Planting native plants that feed nutrients into our soils that those nutrients can then, we can harvest plants from, we can harvest fruits and vegetables. And oh, it's just like this, it's rematriating when I hear it gives me a soft feeling. It's, I'm a very big visual person. So it's like, literally taking concrete and I see like a something just like going through it and scraping it clear and then we plant seeds right and we take what we took out we we take it out I don't know if I'm making sense but (laughs) it's super important to me especially being somebody who loves Iowa and fights for Iowa and seeing kind of like what Bridget said like how people can't drive because of dust bowls and things that aren't natural in Iowa. Iowa used to be a wetland and prairie. Um, and we really need to bring those things back because if we continue to build, if we continue to spread out, and if we continue to pollute our lands and not try to put carbon back in the soil, it's going to be a really lasting effect. I know, Justin, you kind of mentioned how like climate change is bleak in this kind of hard to look at right um but we can really look locally and and locally we can do a lot of things mm-hmm. there's um i'm looking at it right now but there's a uh, construction project at the end of the street i live on and they're constructing a spillway out of um land that was uh formerly discovered to be a sinkhole so in doing so they're hoping to enact like a flood mitigation so that water is being directed away from you know homes and all of that and um, that's all well and good. Like, I have no issues with that, you know, being a thing. But I'm the type of person where I think about like, well, why is this happening? And what is sparking this? And what's causing, you know, that to happen? And the reason we're seeing all this, you know, 100 year flooding every year is because, you know, uh, the disruptions in the jet stream 
that once governed all the weather patterns in this part of the world, it's completely disrupted now. So instead of things moving through quickly, that's why we get weeks of rain. I feel like crazy whenever I talk about this, but um, whenever we're going to get one of those systems where it's like days and days of dumping rain, I get like a a decently bad headache the day before. Mm -hmm. I used to never, ever get headaches. I take care of myself pretty well. um, Although that's a, that's a constant uh, journey. Um, but uh, I used to, yeah, I used to never get headaches and I can pretty much time them based off of weather patterns now. And that's like really kind of fundamentally fucked up um, that that's like, we're dealing with these storms that have such barometric pressure behinding them that it's like having a physical effect on hopefully not just like my body, like hope, not hopefully, but like, right. I, I hope I'm not alone and that if other people are, you know, dealing with that too, or dealing with other weird side effects um, that we wouldn't necessarily think to connect to weather patterns. Um, but the reason that we get these really long systems of rain is because these patterns are, you know, disrupted. Why are these patterns disrupted? Well, you know, it's not Des Moines fault specifically, but we're not helping the problem by mm-hmm. producing the urban heat island effect using a lot of the building materials that, Denver uh, mentioned and yeah, break them up, like destroy them, you know, figure out the least harmful way to not have them be around anymore and replace them with things that are helpful. And uh, that absolutely cannot happen without letting uh, the indigenous population of central Iowa have more of a say, whatever, whatever that ends up uh, looking like. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can think about this selfishly and just like understand that the, like the disruptions to weather systems and our climate hurt you like as a person it's bad for your health like you know the air quality has been awful lately almost every body of water in our state is like you should not touch it um <laughs> the uh des moines waterworks uh we talked about this with chris jones recently um they they filter the most nitrates out of like des moines water than like basically anywhere in the country i think like yeah oh i've been rattling that fact off to people ever since <laughs> yeah. the episode dropped that that one stuck with me yeah yeah none of this is good for human uh life no. so it's it's not just to like save the trees and save the planet like you are also a natural being and so this is good for you to to improve the the situation yeah. i'm tired of being scared of my water faucet <laughs> yeah for, like Prairie land has like, like you said, natural ways of preventing that sort of runoff. You know, like it's, it's absurd how much deference is paid to the agriculture industry in yeah. the state. It's been huge consequences to industrial agriculture that it would be nice to, you know, do something to to fix that. Well, like, and I know that like Des Moines single handedly cannot take on all of industrial agriculture, but like the difference between me and Denver and all of the incumbents on council is that we're willing to stand up and say, hey, that's really messed up and you suck for that, you know, or whatever professional yeah. language that translates <laughs> over to, um, which I'll have to, I'll have to learn how to speak that language if elected. Um, but uh yeah. And I just I feel like even even doing that would mean so much to people because like we all kind of understand that this is a bigger problem than city council can take on. But there's there's a huge middle ground that can be covered. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it matters like what elected officials do. That matters more than what they say. But even like acknowledging reality in a way that people recognize as the truth 
does have a major impact because like if you watch a city council meeting like anywhere like these people are not acknowledging reality like they 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 don't they they know the truth and they don't say it (laughs) and they don't act upon it and it's very hard to watch I know I get such secondhand. I was thinking when Denver was talking about the mid-American, I think I was at that meeting when Josh Mandelbaum, when they tried to, when they, when he had to go into the other room, that was like peak secondhand embarrassment for Josh Mandelbaum. Like, I don't know how he like continues to show his face. Like I just, I get such secondhand from him, just from all of them, just from the way they act. I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we're going to wrap up soon, but there, I had a really important question for Denver that I wanted to make sure I asked while we were recording. Uh, Denver, your first name is the name of a city in Colorado. So if you were to be elected mayor, would you change your name to Des Moines? No. Because <laughs> 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 my, my parents met there. Oh. And my mother's from Iowa, right? So my mother's... Uh, family immigrated from Mexico and ended up in Iowa to work in the fields here. Mm-hmm. So they would help do cover crops. And it's also kind of interesting in that little tidbit because the person whose land my ancestors worked on was my sister's landlord for seven years. <laughs> so oh. it's like, I didn't know that. It's very surreal. Um, but I, I love my name, you know, and, uh, I guess my last name, Denver Foot. Yeah, I, I just I made the connection, and I, I wanted to know if that was something people might might have been pressuring you about, you know, because you know, that's a different city than the one you're trying to lead. So, <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a question too. Uh, is there enough parking in the Ingersoll neighborhood? <laughs> if we got rid of Proto, there wouldn't be. Me? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, if, we got, if we got rid of that ding dang Starbucks, there'd be even more. Oh yeah, that, not that yeah. not that we need it. Crazy that the council that voted in favor for this infrastructure is now complaining because it's affecting their own businesses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I should make a post that it's like council. And then it's like in quotations, like complaining about parking on Ingersoll. <laughs> and it's like every single parking lot. And then it says like patrolled by Croto, you know, like that, like towing is a predatory ser- service. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, anyways. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure that out. I'm going to uh, build a parking garage and then go bankrupt and have the city bail me out. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good plan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, as we uh, as we get ready to go, uh, do you either of you or both of you have any campaign events coming up? We are organizing some. We're going to start canvassing soon, um, but my laptop broke, obviously, so that put a little damper in things. Um, I really want to do another community event soon. It's probably going to be like a potluck poetry at the park is what i'm thinking it's got a nice sound to it and then we have which bridget is a part of we have the beaverdale uh debate happening in october Mm. um and then we just recently got invited to do another debate i can't remember the details but but, um and then voting is november 7th 
Um, and if you are were registered to vote in the last presidential election, but you did not vote in the statewide election, your voter status is invalid um, or expired. So you need to check on that. Or if you moved, like make sure to check your voter registration and I guess Denver for DSM.com. Right on. Yeah. Paul Pate, uh, he, he likes to purge the voter rolls. So make sure your status is uh, ready to go before election day. Uh, and then Bridget's website is uh, similarly Bridget for DSM. That's the number four on both of those. Oh, no, no, sorry. Denver's is Denver F O R D S M. Yeah. We got we to gotta differentiate somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those links will be, you know, in the description of this episode if you have any trouble finding them. Um, but yeah, you can learn if you didn't learn enough about uh, these two people or their policies uh, from this episode, you can learn more on their websites. Also, um, I'm in a band. The band is called Bigby Woods. We're on all the listening platforms if you want to check us out. Yeah, and they have uh, been played on the show before. And I wanted to play another Bigby Woods song to end this episode since we have Bridget here. Uh, do you have a request? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, do you want to play uh, Obsessed? It's a song about how the city uh, council kind of sucks. Okay. Yeah. Hell obsessed. Yeah. So that will be <laughs> from like 2020, 2021. <laughs> that will be the end of the episode. Uh, before we get there, um, if you would like to call Rock Hard Caucus, our phone number is 319-849-8733. Uh, we do have a, a couple of voicemails that we haven't played on the show yet, but I don't, I don't, do either of you play video games? I do. Denver doesn't, so I don't really want to do, do this voicemail right now and, and waste Denver's time, but, <laughs> but look forward to a video game related voicemail later on this podcast. Um, we also yeah. have a P.O. box if you'd like to mail us anything. Uh, I've got a, an envelope down there that's waiting for another episode later. Uh, that's P.O. box 5336 in Coralville, Iowa, 52241. You can send us whatever you want. Uh, subject to U.S law uh, so be careful you know post the postal service is a federal agency so you know don't don't risk anything sending stuff through the mail uh looking at next month the the iowa state fair is going to be wild uh kim reynolds says she's going to try to interview every single gop presidential candidate so i may uh end up going to the fair every day so look forward to coverage of that from us uh, personally, I am playing at Trumpet Blossom in Iowa City on August 1st with the Christine Burke Ensemble. That'll be a fun show. And uh, this podcast has a Patreon if you would like to support our ongoing efforts. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called Ambitions by Joseph Dobrian, and we're doing a review of that. Which, uh, I, I, Evan, how have you been liking that book? Oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Dobrian is kind of like our mascot um for the podcast anti-mascot i guess you could mm, say mm. um he's kind of like our yeah our alter ego or not alter ego but like our uh jekyll to our hide i don't know i'm H- hides the bad this metaphor one, though, right well, we're obviously the bad ones <laughs> okay so we're the, yeah he's the doctor and we're the like werewolf guy <laughs> I'm, I'm messing this up very badly but um either way i i'm enjoying being exposed to joseph dobrian's work through justin yeah. Yeah, I, I learn a lot. And um, I mean, Stella and Natalie have, have been teasing an upcoming Toxic Feminine Mystique episode, and then hopefully the, that works out one of these days. <laughs> 
Well, uh, Bridget and Denver, thank you both so much for joining us and uh, sharing your your vision with the world. Um, I think you're both uh, very worthy candidates, certainly more worthy than uh, anyone who currently holds those offices. So I, I hope that things go well for you. Yeah. Thank you for giving us a platform. For Absolutely. Sure. Yes. All oh. the best. Is this it? Bye. Yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> let's cut it off there. Yeah. All right. Thanks that everybody. <laughs> <laughs>